What a beautiful worship that was. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Uh, absolutely, absolutely beautiful. And, and that's what we've said, you know, when I lend the year, um, consolidated, um, uh, charged up in the things of God, stead, refreshed and stead for 2023. Um, uh, so that was a beautiful worship time. I, I really, really enjoyed and nothing beats the presence of God and really soaking ourselves in the presence of God. Uh, a lot can happen in the presence of God. You can be defined, you can be delivered, you can be set free. Uh, you, can, you can get new perspective about your life. You, 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 you know, the impartation of anointing of God can fall into your heart. Uh, you know, empower, empowering you to walk out here and face situations of life. Uh, with, how many of us know that sometimes God does not change situations, it changes you? The story of the cross is about that, right? Jesus said we prayed for strength. The cross was not going to be removed. The crucifixion was going to happen the following day. There was no praying God. The actually was tempted to pray, God, will you remove this cup? But uh, he said, not my will, yours be done. And he switches the prayer to, you know, to, to, to receive strength from God. And the word of God says, the angel of the Lord appeared to give him strength. The situation was going to happen the following day. Nothing was changing the, the crucifixion. But what did change was that Jesus was a, a lot more empowered to face the situation. And I think that's, that's, that's empowering, yeah? It's empowering to know that hey, sometimes, even, even though God may not change situations, but he can empower us to face the situations that you and I need to face. So, uh, so that's why I love the presence of God and soaking ourselves in the presence of God. It, it helps us to, it strengthens us. Um, in life. We've been talking about, uh, we started talking about growing in the mission of God and that's kind of switched. Uh, within that context, we started talking about predestination because we felt like there, were, there was, uh, you know, the hand of God just circulating around that subject of uh, predestination. Very, very important subject, I think, uh, for a believer, whether you're growing, whether you got saved yesterday, whether you've been saved for 20 years, um, you know, whether we've been saved for five years, really doesn't matter. Uh, predestination subject is very, very important. Uh, I was, as, you know, I was having a conversation with Malu. He's like, wow, this predestination thing is quite important. I said, yeah, it's very important for a journey in the kingdom of God. Uh, it's important whether you're a zinzile, you know, predestination is just important. It's that important thing. Um, zinzile and Shakana walking, you know, right and left. <laughs> so predestination, we started talking about that uh, last Sunday, and today we're going to continue talking about predestination, and I want to use the story of Joseph, so we're looking at predestination through the, through the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph is a very, very important character in the Word of God. Uh, we love Joseph for different reasons, and so we're going to look at the story of Joseph and, and look at predestination for his context, and hopefully that empowers you and I to clarify, understand a lot more our own story of predestination, right? So how many of us know that the, the Bible is a family album? You look at these characters to understand yourself better, right? You look at Joseph, you look at Abraham, you look at David, and you look at Esther, you look at all these characters, and the point of studying them is not so that you can have just information. The point of studying these biblical characters is so that you can understand yourself better in 2022. 
They may have lived in times where there was no technology, there were no mobile phones and smartphones, but the issues of life are the same. How many of us know that? The issues of life never change. They remain the same. The, the things that they were battling with, they remain are the same issues that you and I are battling with today. So, so you know, they didn't have a electricity, they didn't have running water in the way that you and I do, they didn't have cars, they had camels and donkeys and horses, um, you know, but the issues of life remain the same. That's the amazing thing about human beings. The issues of life remain the same, and if we can study these biblical characters and understand what they walked through and what they, over, uh, what, what, what they were able to overcome, then we can be empowered uh, uh, to walk through our own journey. So we're looking at predestination through the story of Joseph today. Um, I want to start us off just by uh, 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 mentioning again the, the word predestination, the word of God, uh, pro-orizo, or pro-orizo, uh, is a word basically that means to set destiny in advance. In, in literal sense, the word means to, to define limitations, to define boundaries, to set up boundaries for people, as God sets boundaries for you and I. Long before we're actually born, long before the, there's a, a story, you know, sometimes um, we can have a story of upbringing, a story of family, how we were raised up, and we feel we own that story. We can articulate it. But God knew you and I long before we could articulate our stories. You know, he's better. So, you know, sometimes uh, what's becoming popular these days, people write books about themselves and how they were raised. And, you know, and it's tricky, this thing of writing books about yourself. As your uncle can realize, oh, I'm in the book. I didn't even realize. <laughs> <laughs> and whether they did something good or bad, it's like, that's, 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 there they go in the book. It's becoming very popular. Everybody writing a book about themselves. You know, well, we, we, we want to, and you can articulate that very well, but we need to understand the God story for your life. Yeah. I mean, how, how beautiful a book, a book uh, Joseph could have written about himself and all the terrible brothers. Then I had the terrible brothers. They, they, they were nasty. They were hateful. But actually, that wasn't God's view. The problem with that is it wasn't God's view. God's view of the situation was very, very different. And so, um, and so we're looking at God. We're looking at predestination issues. We're looking at God setting boundaries for our lives long before we actually were born. Uh, we're looking at God. I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Uh, before your daddy and mommy came together in love, I knew you. I set you apart as a prophet to the nations. That's what God says uh, to Jeremiah. And we're looking at this man, Joseph, and I'm going to start us off uh, in Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 to 21. Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 to 21. Um, but, Joseph, but Joseph said to them, this is the context here is that the brothers of Joseph are coming back to try and negotiate some reconciliation because they did do some really terrible things to him. And they are fearful for their lives. They think he's going to revenge for himself and he's going to maybe kill them. He is in a position of authority at that point in time to either kill them or take them to prison or something. And so they're worried. You know, if you were part of the brothers, you would be worried yourself. So they try and negotiate and strike a deal of reconciliation with him. But by the time they come to Joseph, he's so reconciled that he gives them a perspective from God 
He says in Genesis, Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 to 21, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's the first thing that he says. Don't, so he confronts fear. Don't be afraid. You're going to talk about these things. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Then he says this, you intended to harm me. And we were having a conversation with Zamo yesterday. I was saying, you know, Joseph knew that there was a purpose of God in his life in the evils that he went through, but he still did not absolve his brothers of the evil they did to him. Yeah? You intended to harm me. You are bad, he's saying. You are evil. But God, let's say, but God. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid for the second time. Just take it easy. Chill. If you're using 2022 language, relax. You know? Um, <laughs> if you see these movies, you go to this bad guy, and you can see this guy's evil. And he says, relax. You can see this guy's about to kill me. He's about to do something really evil to me. He says, relax. You know? Um, so he's saying, relax to them. Chill. But there's a true sense of forgiveness in the heart of Joseph towards his brothers. So then don't be afraid. I will, pro I will provide for you and for your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So this is Joseph at the really prime of his life. He's, he's being used by God and, and, you know, to do some wonderful things in, in Egypt at that point in time. The thing that I want to mention, remind us, is that in, it was in 2013, God spoke to us, to this church, about Joseph being our prophetic icon. And we actually went through teachings at that point in time uh, and looked at Joseph. And so I think it's interesting to be looking at Joseph again inside of a context of predestination. Joseph is your prophetic icon. Joseph is your reference point, if you like. That's what God said to us in 2013. And so I think it's quite significant that we're looking at Joseph, looking at predestination through the story of the life of Joseph, because we know that he carries some prophetic significance for us. When God said Joseph is your prophetic icon, it really was meaning that the story of Joseph reflects situations, it reflects patterns, it reflects, uh, it, it, it reflects processes and attitudes that would facilitate our journey to kingdom people. So something about Joseph that we needed to learn and understand in order to navigate our own journey in the purposes of God. And that's basically what God was saying. Look at Joseph. He's your reference point. Uh, he's your go-to guy. Look at his, his, his life. And I read about Joseph from time to time because of that word that God spoke to us in 2013. And some of us were not here then. And it's helpful for us to restate these things uh, inside of 2022 so that we, we together now can understand what God has said in the past and historically about Joseph to this church. Joseph is your prophetic icon. Joseph is your go-to guy. He's your reference point. If you studied his story, I mean, if you study his story, you will be empowered to walk your own journey. That's what basically that means, Joseph being our prophetic icon. If you study his story, you'll be empowered to walk your journey. That's what God was really saying. This was 2013. 
And it actually reminded me in 2014, I had an encounter with God. This is about 12 months later after God had said that Joseph is your prophetic icon. Now, this particular day in, 20, in 2014, I had this encounter. And God spoke, spoke these words literally into my heart this particular day. I was at home sitting outside in the yard and just thinking about a bunch of things. And I wasn't thinking about Joseph. And boom, God spoke. This was exact words as they came from the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when we hear God, we hear sensings. We sense things. Uh, sometimes when you prophesy to somebody, you can sense things and, and, and speak out of what you sense and feel. Sometimes God can inspire your mind, your imagination. You see things or, or you get inspired thoughts. But sometimes you, 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 you get literal words from God. And this was one of those um, you know, you know, times when uh, God spoke these words. He said, they will take your garments and dip them in blood and then declare that you are dead. He was speaking to me. Uh, there was a situation that I was going through at a, po at a point in time. And, and these words, like, what is God meaning uh, by speaking these words? And, and in that context, 30 minutes later, you know, something, some, something was said about me that really was, you know, unfortunate and caused a whole lot of uh, reputational you know, damage and, you know, just some situation that we're dealing with at the time, which got complicated. The thing and the reason why I'm, I'm referring to this is that initially when God said, look at Joseph, he's your go-to guy, you then typically, typically think about the palace and, you know, sitting with Pharaoh and governing over issues. But actually, God was equally talking about the process of life. Uh, he was talking about understanding how to navigate life. And when he spoke this word in 2014 in the context of my life, um, uh, he was empowering me to deal with, you know, some situation that I was dealing with at the time. And, and, uh, and, and so we've understood in this journey of God, and sometimes you walk through complicated situations, you walk through relationship issues that you have to confront and wrestle through. And that was the story of Joseph. Uh, the journey of faith, and, and of course, the scripture is very clear about make, make every effort to live at peace with all men. That you are not walking around looking for conflict. You are not looking, walking around looking to start trouble with people. But the journey of faith oftentimes involves this issue of dealing with and navigating relationships and complicated issues. And God, I feel, has empowered us by giving us the story of Joseph to understand and the power of Joseph to reconcile with people towards, you know, at the prime of his life is an amazing, is an amazing example for me. At the time when, when he is in a position of authority, he reconciles, he extends his hand to his brothers, and he's looking for something bigger than his own life and his own pain and his own past. He's looking for the purpose of God. And that's basically what I want us to get out of this. Joseph is our prophetic icon. Joseph is the guy, kind of guy that will not be caught up in just issues of relational conflict. He's looking for the purpose of God. He's looking for the big picture of God. He's looking to see what is God doing in, in, you know, in the, in the, at a particular point in time and how do we navigate that. And, and I get inspired each time I refer back to Joseph. And so there are processes and there are attitudes that God wants to impart into our hearts to understand in your own life's journey. If you are 
20, 25, 30, you have had to navigate relationship at some point. Yeah? Yes? Relational conflict and relational difficulty. And I think Joseph is, for in, 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 my, in my view, one of those guys that you want to read to be empowered in how to navigate through the complications of life. Now, let's go back to Genesis chapter 37 and read just the initial stages of the life of Joseph. Genesis 37, verses 1 to 4. Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 to 4. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob, Joseph. This is the account of Jacob, Joseph. So the account of jo jo uh, Jacob is reflected in this story through the context of his son, Joseph. This is the account of Jacob, Joseph, a young man of 17. Who is 17? How old are you, Simpure? Huh? 15. You are just two years younger, just just, so we really can use you and Malusi. Uh, how old is Dumo? 18. So Dumo is like, so we can use, uh, how old is Kai? 14. Uh, Kai is a little, is a little 14. <laughs> we, we, we can use Simpi, we can use Malusi, we can use, uh, we can use Dumo. That's the age range we are talking about here. Now, for those of us who are 25, 30, you think you have problems, you're suffering, look at the boy who's 17, walking through the issues of life, right? And hopefully that encourages you. <laughs> Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bil Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornament, ornamented, ornamented robe, a robe of many colors that we often talk about for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So he's starting to see trouble. Right from the beginning. They hated him. I mean, this is not like, a, you know, Kiara and Jose fighting over dishes and who's going to wash dishes. And this is proper. This is hatred. <laughs> they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. In verse 5, reading verses 5 to 11, Joseph had a dream. So there is a context of relational tension already. And this is where God has to be God, right? It's, like, it's not very helpful, you could say, to add a dream on top of a problem. So Joseph is already walking in tension, and then he has this dream. And when he told it to his brothers, and of course, who else do you tell a dream to? You know, I can see Wednesday having a dream and going to Vuma and saying, man, I, I had a dream. That would be your first people you talk to your brothers. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. They hated him all the more. Then he had, 
another dream. Then he had another dream. Now, we, we, we are walking into a, a, a situation here. So Joseph has a favor with his father, and out of which his brothers begin to hate him. And God adds a dream to that situation, and they hate him even more, and God adds another dream. <laughs> you, you would say, if you're God, okay, let's hold on with the dreams. Let's resolve the conflict and bring Joseph to a place of, you know, poor guy. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. I don't know if I was going to tell him by this time. I was going to tell them by this time. He told it to his brothers in verse 10. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Reading from verse 17 now, 17 to 24. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. This is getting serious. So from hatred to murder, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. So they're plotting to assassinate him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Verse 21, when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their, uh, from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the, this cistern here. In the, de in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So you're already seeing, again, complica further complications here. Reuben, being the old, older brother, feels the need to protect his young brother, but he's not doing it properly. He's doing it in a politically correct way. He is, is it's when we, you know, we stand in friendships and not confront things properly, Right? That's the problem that we are seeing here. Reuben should have told his brothers, this is wrong, we're not going to do this. Before you can touch Joseph, you're going to have to touch me. That's what he should have said. But he's doing it in a politically nice way. He's being politically correct. He is a guy in the position to protect Joseph, and he abandons his responsibility because he wants to be accepted by his brothers. So when Joseph came to his brothers in verse 23, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. In those days, they would dig these cisterns, and uh, you know, there would be wells, and that's where they would dig waters. And the cistern was a way to really like a tank, almost like an underground tank to protect and to keep the water. Back in those days. In verse 25, reading now still Genesis 37 from verses 25 to 33. As I sat down to eat their meal. Now these guys. <laughs> the brother is in the cistern. It's probably hot. This is like the desert. It's probably hot. He's suffocating in there. They're ordering Nando's.
I think they were having none knows what, what flavor. I don't know what flavor they were having. <laughs> they, they're, like, they're having a meal. And they looked up. The, the guy must be crying. This is proper evil. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and, and, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. So these are traders. These are guys going, this is a trade route. In verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brothers? So the second guy is having a conviction here. The first guy, remember, was Reuben, right? Reuben is a big brother. He's supposed to play the role of a protector. He abandons that because he wants to be accepted by his brothers. And then secondly, now it's Judah is feeling bad. He says, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't be killing him. He says, Judah said to, the, to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's, let's sell him to the, to, to the Ishmaelites. It was still a bad idea. Just sell him and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So you can see the Spirit of God is convicting here. But you know, somebody is just not willing to take on the conviction just because of, of political correctness. How we stand in friendships, guys and girls, is very important. We have to stand in truth, not wanting to be accepted, right? So when the Midianite merchants came, in verse 28, came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there, what can I tell now? So, it's a, it's a complicated situation. He wanted to secretly save him instead of publicly save him. That's a problem. Invested one, then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped, uh, dipped uh, uh, the robe in the, in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, we found this, examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. The father, being Jacob, recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. If you pick the same story, so that was Genesis 37. We're reading, I picked some verses from verse 1 to 33. If you pick the same story from Psalm 105, from verses 16 to 23, God called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food and sent a man before them, Joseph. So now we're starting to see the predestination realities. God sends a man. Joseph sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him. The ruler of people set him free. He made him master, master of his household, ruler over all that he possessed, to instruct the princes as he pleased and teach his elders wisdom. And it says in verse 23 in Psalm 105, then Israel entered Egypt. Now, other scripture references we could put there, but 
for today, we're not going to do that. We just want to focus on Genesis 37 and Psalm 105 as we look at the story of Joseph. And so, like I said earlier, God spoke to us in 2013 about Joseph. He's a prophetic icon. He's a reference guy. He's your go-to man. If you can understand his process, you can understand your process better. We see, and we see the need to balance in the story of Joseph, the reality of God sending Joseph, sending the man, the sending of God in the life of Joseph. We balance that with the fact that he was sold as a slave. So we balance the God's divine plan for Joseph and the evil plan of man for Joseph, human conflict, if you like. The, the issues that came out of just relational tension. So on the one hand, you have jo we have God sending the man, but using circumstances that are unfortunate. Circumstances that are rather unfortunate. Uh, 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 the plotting by his brothers to sell him as a slave to Egypt. And it's quite a, a complex story in that sense. And it's a true and a powerful picture of predestination, how God can use evil to achieve his divine plans, and how God uses even human conflict to achieve his divine plans. Not to say that we must look for human conflict because God uses it. That's not what I'm saying here. But we are saying that God can use human situations that are unfortunate to achieve something bigger and higher than us. So, in a sense, we're seeing the reality that Joseph's brothers sold a slave and Egypt received a prince. It's quite a complex issue there. It's quite a powerful thing there. What was nothing to the brothers of Joseph, what was devalued to the brothers of Joseph, was actually received with a sense of value in Egypt. He became a prince within the palace of Pharaoh but was sold as a slave. He was devalued. He was canceled by his brothers. They saw no value inside of his life, but Egypt received him as a prince. It's quite a profound thing to think about. So as we read, read the story in Genesis 37, the dream of the Lord in Joseph's heart is what results in a couple of issues, a couple of problems. The dream of the Lord in Joseph's heart results in the fallout, Joseph's fallout with his own brothers, as we read in Genesis 37. It results in detention with his father, as we read in Genesis 37. And ultimately, it results in separation with his family. So the dream that comes from the Lord into Joseph's heart results in basically three basic things. The fallout with his brothers, tension with his father, and separation with his family. Now, you begin to see that I, I thought the purpose of God should, 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 should produce some nice things. But actually, the purpose of God can produce complicated things. So the dream of the Lord coming into the heart of Joseph produces three basic but painful things. A fallout with his brothers, tension with his father, and separation with his family. The brothers hate him. The father does not understand him. And eventually, he is separated from his family. That's what happens um, as, as, we, as, we, as we read the story. Those three basic things. And for a season, Joseph was separated from his family. 
But through the process of separation, Joseph actually steps into kingdom purpose. Uh, let me say that again. For a uh, season, Joseph was separated from his family, but through the process of separation, Joseph steps into kingdom purpose. Again, please hear me correctly here. I'm not suggesting let's go out looking for separation. Because through separation, we might just get purpose. That's not what I'm saying. But we're following a story, and we're looking into the mind of God. The journey of Joseph, the journey to predestination involved misunderstanding, it involved conflict, it involved separation and suffering. Yeah. And again, the idea is not that we look out for misunderstanding, because through misunderstanding we might get papers. You know. That's not the thing that we, that's not what Joseph was looking for. Joseph was not walking around looking for to be separated from his family. He wasn't look, walking around looking for misunderstanding and conflict with his brothers. He was just simply living the life. And unfortunately, things played out the way that they did. So we have to read the story of Joseph with a healthy, prophetic mind. And not use it to speak into some level of conviction bias inside of our own hearts. Suppose we human beings are, you know, can be messed up sometimes. Right? So, for a season, Joseph was separated from his family. But through the process of separation, he steps into kingdom purpose. His journey to predestination involved misunderstanding, conflict, separation, and suffering. Trust, trust me, if you went to Joseph and said, Joseph, did you want these things to happen? He would tell you, no, I didn't. The Bible is very clear. We must live in peace with all men. Make every effort to live in peace with all men. We're not to walk around to be rude and to just look for conflict and want to, you know, be in trouble with people. But we do acknowledge that things, unfortunate things, do happen in life. Unfortunately. What was done to Joseph? As I just, you know, cover the, 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 the ground, uh, you know, the story as it unfolded. So what was done to Joseph, they stripped him of his robes. And the robes in the word of God always represent either anointing or identity. Anointing or identity. So in the eyes of his brothers, they devalued his anointing. They devalued his identity. That's the first thing that happened. What was done to Joseph, number two, they put him in a waterless cistern. And that waterless system would have been a place of obscurity for Joseph. You know, it was, it was, a, it was a, a, a place of obscurity, a place of, it was in the early days of being separated. They were, they were excluding him from amongst the family. They put him in this waterless system. That's the second thing that happened. What was done to Joseph, number three, they sold him as a slave, and that selling of Joseph as a slave, spoke of rejection, abuse, and separation. They abused him. They rejected him, and they separated themselves from him. That's the third thing that happened to Joseph. Number four, what was done to Joseph? They dipped his robe in blood. This is the encounter I went through in, in 2014, which was uh, they canceled him, if you want to use a, a modern-day social media language. They canceled him. He was removed from their memory. They, they no longer recognized his, his existence and, and his value. He was canceled. A, a, 
a, a, a conspiracy of his death was crafted. They dipped him, dipped his, sorry, his robe in blood. That's number four. Number five, they accused him. This is Potiphar's wife, obviously. They accused him falsely. With no the false accusation of Joseph, which would have caused reputational damage because he was now a potential rapist, according to the wife of Potiphar. This was reputational damage. This was defamation of character, a classical case of defamation and reputational damage. So this is what Joseph walks through. This is a guy, 17 years. All of this is happening before he's 30. So by the time he's in the house, the house of Potiphar, serving there, you know, Potiphar's wife, you know, you know, is seducing him and all sorts of things are happening and that leading to a reputational damage, a false accusation of some kind, which meant that he was known as a potential rapist. Because that story was never properly resolved. I was actually thinking about it, reading his story of Joseph, when he later got married and had his family. Because remember, Potiphar was a general in the army of, uh, of Pharaoh. There would have been functions, and, and I'm sure I can, if I made a movie of this, you know, I can imagine Joseph walking into this dinner with his wife, and Potiphar's wife, and, and they're, <laughs> you know, locking eyes, and, and the wife like, like, what's going on? Were you, did you actually rape this woman? Or did you attempt to rape this woman as per the newspaper? How complicated is the story? And Joseph, no, I, I never did it. But then there was evidence that your, your, your garment was left with her. What did Potiphar think afterwards? I mean, it's like, it's, it's a complicated story if you wanted to make a, a movie out of it. Very, very complicated. So Joseph goes through all of these things. But here's another thing. Joseph went through some significant milestones in his life without his family. How painful was that? He got married without his father being there. So, I mean, your, your day of wedding, right? Your wedding day is like a significant time. You, you, want, you want people that are important in your life to be there, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure he would have thought about his father. He would have thought about his family on his wedding day. He got married without his family being there. He got children, two sons, without his family being there. And he stepped into a significant vocation. The purpose of God actually started to be fulfilled without his family being there to witness it. And I think all these three significant moments would have been very painful to Joseph, thinking about, my brothers should be witnessing this. My father should be witnessing this. So it says in Genesis 41 verse 45, Pharaoh gave Joseph the name um, Zaphenath, Penea. Uh, uh, um, uh, and gave him Asenath. So there was this thing about ancient cultures of being renamed. We know that story of Daniel in Babylon. Uh, and, and so, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah. And I like read this, it sounds like Potiphar. Like this thing is funny. Potiphar, Potipharah. Gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. Uh, you are, if you're a priest in Egypt, you are quite a significant, important person. And so this, this girl is taken, uh, the daughter of Potipharah, and is given to Joseph. So Joseph gets married without his father being there, without his brothers being there. 
um, the, the people that were at his wedding would have been people that he would have known uh, for the last 13 years of the 30 years of his life. Do you know what that looks like? How prophetically profound is that? And then the next thing happens, babies start coming. There's a fruit of the womb of his, of his wife. In Genesis 40, 41 verse 50, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. I like it when the Bible does that. Like <laughs> Asenath, daughter of Christoph. And verse 51, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. This man has been thinking about his family. His family is in his memory. It's, it's, it gets reflected in the naming of his children. So he's, the firstborn is named Manasseh. In verse 52, the second son, uh, he named Ephraim. And I like, there's a prophetic significance in the naming here, which I'm going to talk to you about just now. The second son, he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So here's what's happening here. Two sons. The first son allows Joseph to reconcile with his past. The second son allows Joseph to reconcile with what was happening in the present. And so the man is walking through a journey. I would have loved to be there in the Peter talks between Joseph and Asenath. And as he would have been talking about his family and all of the stuff that went. And so he's having a wedding and all the people that are at the wedding, the guests are people that he's known. Uh, actually, I say that, you know, he was 17 years when he had a dream, right? And then he gets sold and, 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 uh, and, uh, and eventually he's in, he's in prison. It took two years, two years, within two years since, uh, of, his, uh, of him being in prison, uh, Pharaoh has that significant dream that unlocks Joseph. So actually, it was 13 years since he was sold by his brothers. But most likely, the guests in his wedding were people he, knew, he had known probably for two, three years. Maybe five years at most. Because it was only a space of two years since he was a prisoner. And between the time that he was a prisoner and when Pharaoh had a dream. Which means when he became a prince, when he became recognized properly for who he was, proper friends, was that guest list is not going to involve Potiphar and his wife. That guest list is going to involve guys that you have known since you were released from prison. Two years. So the guest, he's walking, and his wife walking down the aisle, the guest are people he's known for about three years maybe. And he has to make the most out of that. And he's thinking about his family. He's thinking about what went down there. So the stages of Joseph's journey begin with the misunderstanding and separation. And you know, people talk about, you know, casually talk about the four P's of Joseph's life. The pit, Potiphar, the prison, and the palace. The story of his journey begins with the misunderstanding and separation. And the trigger of that was he told a dream that what led to the problem. The second stage was suffering. 
in Potiphar's, in Potiphar's house. Yes, he was a favored slave, but he was still a slave. And the trigger of that suffering was good stewardship. He was a good steward. He was a good steward, good manager. The third phase, a stage of Joseph's life was false accusation when Potiphar's wife lies about him and that sends him to the prison. And the trigger of that was his sexual purity. His sexual purity is what got him into trouble. Because if he had slept with her, then there was not going to be a problem. The fourth stage is prominence in the purposes of God. The trigger of that is his ability, was his ability to interpret, interpret dreams. To interpret, uh, interpret uh, dreams. But we can ask the question, when we think deeper about that, what brought Joseph to Pharaoh's palace? Well, on the surface level, we can say, well, he was able to interpret dreams. But actually, the real answer to the question, what brought Joseph to, the, to Pharaoh's palace, is this. His ability to maintain a healthy spiritual attitude for a long time amidst difficult and unfair life situations. This is what brings Joseph to the palace. Because if he didn't maintain a healthy attitude, the track of his life would have been very, very different. So we can say, well, he was able to interpret dreams. Yes, he was able to interpret dreams. And, and yes, that skill was important. That gift was important. But actually, what undergirded that, that gift, the foundation of that gift was his healthy spiritual attitude. Uh, Joseph is that one guy that is just going to bounce back against trouble. He's going to maintain a healthy attitude. He's going to keep the smile. He, 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 he's going to be chilled. He, he's going to walk through the most difficult of circumstances. That's Joseph for you. And it is that healthy spiritual attitude that keeps him on the track of God. Because without that, he was going to snap. Without that, maybe he was going to maybe commit suicide. Without that, a whole lot of things. Without that, probably out of bitterness, he was going to sleep with Potiphar's wife. Yeah? Out of anger and anger at life and bitterness because of how life had played out inside of his life. Yeah? Uh, a whole lot of wrong things could have happened along, along the way. How fascinating is the story of Joseph? How absolutely prophetically significant is the story of Joseph? Again, we we'll read the scripture in Genesis 50, verses 19 to 21. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended, you intended to harm me, but God intended, to, uh, intended, it for, uh, for, uh, intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. And there are these three things that we highlight out of this conversation with, between Joseph and his brothers. The first is don't be afraid. Look at your, at your neighbor and say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Well, fear is born out of a misaligned perspective about the outcome of our lives. What triggers fear is we have a misaligned perspective about the fear of our life, about the outcome of our lives. We fear because we have worked out the outcome of our lives and we don't like that particular outcome. So fear is a product of the activity of the mind having processed something uh, and the outcome of what's going to happen. Fear means 
we don't see life outcome or the future the way God sees it. And we don't see the, we therefore don't see the present the way God sees it. That's what fear means. We don't see life outcome or the future the way God sees it. And we don't see the present the way God sees it. And that's why we become fearful. It is misaligned perspective about the outcome of our lives. It's when we have a different kind of understanding of what's going to happen as a result of what I'm going through. And that triggers fear. So in other words, fear is based on self-calculation. It's us trying to calculate how life is going to work out. It's when we don't go to God to let him tell us how life is going to work out and how he sees it. We try to work out ourselves how life is going to work out. And if the outcome is something that we don't like, then triggers fear inside of our hearts. So we want to confront misaligned perspective about the outcomes of our lives, misaligned perspective about the present circumstances that we are going through. We want to confront those things. Don't be afraid. That's the first thing that Joseph said to his brothers. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 to 8, well, 6 to 7, um, 6 to 7, therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith, not by sight. The NLT puts that, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, this way. For we live by believing and not by seeing. We live by believing and not by seeing. Big question about how much of what preoccupies you right now is based on the things you actually believe, not the things you are seeing with your naked eyes. The message puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7. It's what we trust in but don't yet see that keeps us going. I like that. From time to time we have to pull the message translation. It's what we trust in but don't yet see that keeps us going. It's what we trust in but don't yet see that keeps us going. And let's say if we're kept going by the things we already see, we are in trouble. We're in big trouble. I think Joseph was kept going. He kept going because of the things he trusted. He believed in the word of the Lord to prove him true, that that word would prove him true one day. It's what we trust in, but don't yet see that keeps us going. I like that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. It's a beautiful, beautiful Thing. Don't be afraid. 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 That's what he says. Then we read about these people in the book of Hebrews who were not afraid, right? It's not possible to be a person of faith and to also have fear. Hebrews 11 verses 35 to 38. There were those who under torture Again, I'm reading from the message translation here. There were those who under torture refused to give in and go free. What kind of a thing is that? To refuse to give in and to go free, preferring something better, the resurrection. 
Others uh, uh, braved abuse and whips, and yes, chains and dungeons. We have stories of those who were stoned, sawed in two, murdered in cold blood, stories of vagrants wandering the earth in animal skins, homeless, friendless, powerless. You've got to love the message translation. <laughs> I like it. Homeless, friendless, powerless. <laughs> at least you have a friend. Look at the name and at least you have a friend. Yeah. What, 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 are, what are you moaning about? Homeless, friendless, powerless. The world didn't deserve them, making their way as best as, as best they could, making their way as best they could on the cruel edges of the world. I like that. How beautiful is that? Making their way as best they could on the cruel edges of the world. This is the message translation. I asked the question, where was fear here? And these, by the way, are men and women, right? It's not just men, it's men and women, young and old, suffering for the Lord. And when I read that scripture, you know, I, 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 I remember this lady called Perpetua. And that's a Latin word that means perpetual, which I think reflects a story. Perpetua was a believer in Tunisia who was executed, you know, uh, um, uh, for her faith around the year AD 2203. She was 22 years old, married with an infant baby, a baby that she had to take care of and nurse. She was a daughter of a nobleman. And the story goes that the noble, his, her father went when she was in prison, went, he was a noble. So he went and begged her to renounce Jesus. And she wouldn't. On the day of her execution, the, the father came uh, carrying her, her, her baby son, the toddler, in his arms. And went for the last time to try to convince this 22-year-old Perpetua, please renounce Jesus. And she wouldn't. And soon after that, they were taken to an arena where they were devoured by wild animals. That's a legacy. If we think we have problems, that's the legacy. These people confronted fear. This is a 22-year-old, married, recently married, with an infant. The son, I mean the father, this one time came and said, who's going to raise up your son if you die? Pepetua was moved by that moment, but still maintained her position. I cannot renounce Jesus. And it is said of her that in the arena, as the animals were devouring them, she was actually helping. She was helping another person. A, a courageous story. When you read this story, then you think about the problems of 2022. And you realize we have no problems. Don't be afraid. Be reconciled. That's the second component in Genesis 50 verses 19 to 21. 
be reconciled. And reconciliation is that inner state of harmony with God and contentment that is powered by a discerned will of God amidst chaotic situations. An inner state of harmony. It's an inner state of harmony that happens not because I have a good job and a good business, business is doing well. It's the inner state of harmony that happens because I can discern the will of God and I know I'm walking in the exactness of that will. The inner state of harmony with God and contentment that is powered by a discerned will of God amidst chaos. Like Joseph, his life was chaos. Getting married without your father being you know, a guest at, the, at your wedding. With friends that you had recently made the last couple of years. Giving birth to babies and naming them to reconcile with your past pain and reconcile with the present. In a state of harmony with God and contentment. The word contentment is a powerful word. It means a satisfied mind. So contentment is a state of mind. How amazing is that? State of mind. And in a state of harmony with God and contentment, that is powered not by just the fact that I'm being passive. It's powered by a discerned will of God amidst chaotic situations. What's the opposite of that? The opposite of that is I'm restless, insecure, having a feeling of loss or what, you know, in today's language you call form or fear of missing out. I'm always trying to see what other people are doing. I have a fear of missing out. I have envy, bitterness, and anger even. If we, don't, if, if we are not reconciled, then we're restless. If we're not reconciled, we're insecure. There's a deep sense of loss, of fear of missing out. Formal. If we're not reconciled, we want what our neighbor has. Yeah? We have envy. If we're not reconciled, we're bitter, and we can even be angry. But we want harmony and contentment. A satisfied mind. A satisfied mind. A mind in a state of satisfaction. A mind that is in complete harmony with my current set of circumstances. And that knows that I'm headed towards the purposes of the, of the Lord. God is pulling me forward. I am reconciled. So we're not talking about reconcile as in relational reconciliation here. We're talking about reconciliation as an inner state of your heart and mind. Because oftentimes, if we are not reconciled, LSA, within our own heart and mind, oftentimes we will what? We'll walk in relational breakdown. What causes quarrels among you, James? It's because of evil that is in your heart. That's what it says. And what causes quarrels among you is because of evil inside of your own hearts. So when we lack reconciliation of heart and mind, we're going to find that relationships are going to be complicated also. But when we have peace within and harmony, sense of harmony within our own hearts, we're going to find that uh, uh, you know, we can bring that harmony into our world. Be reconciled. Look at your neighbor and say, be reconciled. We must be reconciled because the Lord is sovereign. We must be reconciled because the Lord can turn darkness into light. Did he turn darkness into light in the case of Joseph? Yes, he did. 
We must be reconciled because the Lord can work out profit out of situations of loss. We must be reconciled. Psalm 18, verse 28, He turns my darkness into light. God can resolve situations. But we want God to resolve situations. Which means we have to follow God and the God process inside of our own lives. Be reconciled. Be reconciled. Then the third thing Joseph says is, I will provide. Don't be fearful. Be reconciled. And I will provide. And I love this scripture in Mark chapter 10, verses 29 to 30. This is one of the scriptures that, you know, uh, God spoke to me in the early days when he was calling me out. Mark chapter 10, verses 29 to 30. I tell you the truth. Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions. And in, the, and in the age to come, eternal life. He's not talking about, ah, you know, like materialism. He's talking about the fullness of life. Yeah. Life is going to be rich and full for you if you follow God. I will provide. I will provide. I will provide. Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to his Glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I will provide. So these are the three things um, Joseph said to his brothers. And we're taking these as the word of the Lord to us. Don't be afraid. Be reconciled. And I will provide. Now as we learn this, we realize a couple of things about the story of Joseph. That to see the story of his life correctly, Joseph had to stand in the position of God and not in the position of self or of his pain. And I think as humans, we like to stand in the position of our pain. Eh? And these days, you know, writing books about ourselves, becoming popular now, we write about our pain. And almost like our pain is our value proposition in life. It's our value. But actually, to see the story of his life correctly, Joseph had to stand in the position of God and not in the position of self, or of his own pain. That's what Joseph does. He has to stand in the same place where God stood towards him. That's what he does. That's what he does. When Joseph saw his past through the lens of God, what happens? He was empowered to forgive. Yes? He was empowered to reconcile. He stepped into a new realm of wisdom. And although he was a victim... He gave counsel to his perpetrators. He stood in the place of being a counselor when he was supposed to be counseled. Right? The guy needing counseling here is Joseph. The guy who suffered here is Joseph. But it's Joseph standing on the other side of the table counseling his brothers and assuring his brothers it's going to be okay. Why? Because Joseph is now looking at life through the lens of God. And he is empowered to forgive. He is empowered to reconcile. He steps into a new realm of wisdom. And although he is a victim, he gives counsel to his own perpetrators. He assures them it's going to be okay. They need a word from him. 
He should be the one being spoken to, but they need a word from him. He was empowered to forgive. He was empowered to reconcile. He steps into a, a new realm of wisdom. He now has new capacity to speak into situations. And although he was a victim, he gave counsel to the perpetrators, to his brothers. You want this, I want this. I want the story of Joseph. I want to be empowered to forgive. I want to be empowered to reconcile. I want to step into a new realm of wisdom. And I want to be able to stand with counsel and speak a word of wisdom to others. The fact that life victimizes you does not mean you have to walk around looking like a victim. Predestination can bring you to a place of resolution and healing. Yeah. Come out of victimhood. <laughs> the village of being in a victimhood. Come out of the hood of the hood. Come out of victimhood is very, very important. Predestination brings life situations to resolution in our hearts. We, know, we see this in, in, in Joseph. Something is resolved within his own heart without his brothers having to be there. By the time conversations are held, by the time his brothers come to him to have a conversation, Joseph is already reconciled and resolved. And I think that's how we need to live life, LSA. If, if the only time I'm going to be resolved is when people come to ask for forgiveness, then I think, I think we are not living prophetically. By the time certain pivotal conversations happen, you need to have moved inside of your own heart and you need to have been resolved and reconciled within your own heart. The story of Joseph reflects the intersection of good and evil. It tells us or it shows us that God can and does use unfortunate and evil situations. God is not evil. He's not a source of evil, but he can use unfortunate and evil situations. We have to reconcile with that. It means that as a believer, you need to be able to handle challenges and difficult and complex issues a certain way. Because you serve a God, the kind of God, who is able to use unfortunate and even evil situations to advance his purpose. God can, and in fact he does use unfortunate and evil situations. The story of Joseph shows us that to step into predestination, we must always be tracking God, yeah? In the situations of our lives. Discern the purpose of God emerging out of the mess of life. Discern the purpose of God emerging out of the mess of life. The story of Joseph shows us that to step into predestination, we must always be tracking God. And if we're tracking God, we're going to be saved from gossip, huh? from bitterness, from offense, from all these things, if we're tracking God. If we're not tracking God, that's why I believe God, partly God said to Abraham when he was separated from his nephew, Lord, lift up your eyes. This is not a moment of gossip, not a moment of bitterness, 
towards your nephew. Lift up your eyes. Look north, south, east, east and west. The purpose of God is unfolding right before you. The story of Joseph shows us that to step into predestination, we must always, we must always be tracking God in the situations of life. We've got to discern the purpose of God emerging out of the mess of life. We know the, the story of, uh, you know, the Bible talks about life can come out of death, right? Mm -hmm. God can produce life out of a situation of death. And oftentimes, actually, that's a very metaphor of creation. The seed must die to produce life. So we have to see our body is dying. What are the elements of the purpose of God that are being produced? Because that actually is the, is the prophetic principle embedded in the system of creation. The story of Joseph shows us that to step into predestination, we must always be tracking God in the situations of life. Now, Joseph is a tiny little you know, guy in the midst of some vast things that are happening in the purposes of the Lord. When you think about it. So Joseph reveals again that the, 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 the plan of God, the purpose of God has these overlapping circles. There is a pain of family conflict and separation. Joseph goes through that, right? As an individual. But by the time he is having a conversation with his brothers in Genesis 50, there is a clear imperative to reconcile with his brothers. And that's because there's a bigger thing that God is after. What is that? The nation of Israel. Out of these brothers would be the 12 tribes. Out of these 12 tribes would be the nation of Israel. There was a covenant of God that God had made with, with Abraham. And God had said to Abraham, you know, your descendants will be uh, 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 you know, uh, 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 ill-treated in a particular empire, God had said. But I will come and deliver them. So through Joseph, uh, uh, the family of Jacob comes to Egypt and this little family is established as a nation there. And there's a covenant that is being fulfilled with Abraham. There's a nation of Israel that has to be a witness of righteousness to other nations. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, your wisdom will show the righteousness of God. All of these things are linked to this one tiny guy called Joseph. Yeah. And of course, all of this would be a prototype of Jesus. Joseph himself is a picture of Jesus, actually. So all of this would be a prototype of Jesus and the church. Now, let us say that Joseph, out of anger and bitterness, decided, actually, you brothers were bad. I'm going to kill you. And he killed them. Do you realize the amount of stuff you would have messed up? All of these circles. Now, what, that tell, what this tells is your life, your life with your story, whatever pain that you carry, whatever issues that you've walked through, there are so many circles around you that you need to really properly understand. And that if you mess up, you are disrupting a whole bunch of stuff. At the end of the day, in, that, in, the, in these many circles, the story of your brother sold you becomes tiny. <laughs> you know, the more you scale up the conversation, the tiny your issues become. The more you scale up the conversation, the, 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 the more petty your issues become. 
So you begin with how we, we track life is we begin with myself. I was abused. I was sold as a slave. I'm angry. And you go to the therapist and you articulate and write a book about it. And then you reverse a little bit. You scale it up a little bit. You realize, ah, okay. There's a nation God is forming here. These brothers who ill-treated me are actually going to be the patriarchs themselves. And there's a nation being formed. And through that nation, God wants to witness to nations. And the more I scale it up, the more insignificant my story becomes. It's the more I, I'm empowered to forgive. But the more limited and small-minded I am, is the more difficult it's going to be to, to forgive. Because in my small-mindedness, my story is big. But in my big-mindedness, my story is small. You realize this? So you are just a piece of a puzzle, in the, you know, intersecting circles of papers. And God is using you. Without Joseph going to Egypt, the family is not going to go to Egypt. If the family doesn't go to Egypt, what God had said to Abraham is not going to be fulfilled. There's no nation being formed. They remain a village family, a little clan there. They're not being established. It becomes a problem. There's a whole bunch of things playing all at the same time. So there are layers of divine purpose linked to Joseph. Yeah, the first layer is that he's going to provide food to the masses. How many of us know that even that is a tiny little thing in the biggest scheme of things? So even the supply of food that Joseph did do, when you scale up the conversation, is actually in itself insignificant. And yes, it can be and is the first layer that he became this wise guy that supplied food. But the next layer is that um, was to bring Israel to Egypt and establish Israel in Egypt as a nation that would migrate across the promised land. God had said to Abraham, your descendants will be slaves in a country not their own. They will come out, with, but they will come out with great possessions. I'm going to deliver them. So there are things linked to my life that God had spoken to former generations that had become dreams and hopes. There are things linked to my life that, yes, may look like a great gift manifesting. I, I can supply food. Wow, praise God. Yes, that's great. But there are things linked to that that have to do with the future. The key word out of all this is the word harmony. So Joseph could have been a great supplier of food, but may have failed to reconcile with his brothers, would have still failed in the purposes of God. Do you realize this? Yeah? Would have still disrupted God's track of the things that, spoke, that God had spoken to Abraham if he didn't facilitate reconciliation to allow for this nation to be built. So the question is, your story, what is, this, what is it linked to? Are you understanding that as you grow in the Lord? If you don't see that, you're going to be very small-minded. And small-minded people are difficult people to live with. If Joseph was small-minded, then the biggest thing about his accomplishment was, uh, look at me, I advise Pharaoh. Why is at the point of his death saying, take my bones when you leave? 
because he sees the bigger picture. He sees that this is not the place of my accomplishment. This Egypt is not the place of, there's something greater that is linking to my life. Take my bones. And remember, he says that in good times. Eh? He doesn't say that because there's a harsh pharaoh. He says that in the days of favor. When you leave, will you please take my bones? It means that Joseph is saying, well, I supplied food, but that's not the greatest thing I ever did. So when we're pulled around by just a gift and just the next thing that we see, we don't see the harmony of the interlinking circles of God linking to our story. We will still fail in the purposes of God, even though we have done some great things. It really doesn't matter. When you leave, take my bones with me, with you. When you leave, take my bones with you. That's a man of vision. That's a man who's not small. We can be small-minded in our accomplishments. How many of us, how many of us know? The things we have accomplished can cause us to be small-minded. We camp around them. But Joseph is a spiritual migrant. He's a pioneer in mentality. He's not camping around his accomplishments. And he keeps pushing the boundaries in the spirit to push further and further into the things of God. Is that be how beautiful is that? That's the story of Joseph. 